Thanks for joining us today. At City Life, we have one purpose, making it easy for people to say yes to Jesus. We believe today's message will empower you to do exactly that. But remember that church is so much more than a sermon you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life. Oh, well, we are wrapping up the series, the four G's of God. Everyone say four G's. Four G's, we're not talking about God's cell network, we are talking about something different. The four G's would be like God's DNA. If God had DNA, I think he has DNA, not like our DNA, it's different. But God's DNA would be these four G's, and they are God is good. God is great, God is glorious. Now that's like a funky Bible word that simply means over and amazing awesome. It's like awesome to the extreme. Glorious is like, everybody's like, oh, it's glorious. It's like, what does that mean? Nobody uses that word today, but awesome. We use awesome. God is glorious. God is gracious. And this is what our series has been about. And, you know, you can kind of think, well, what's a big deal? Like, was you know, I'm not even into this faith stuff. I came to church because somebody said I could come over for lunch afterwards, or they'd introduce me to this girl, or I'd whatever. I couldn't sleep at home because it was too loud, so I came to church. Like, maybe you're not at that place where the whole faith thing, God thing is a big deal. I want to tell you why it's a big deal for all of us. These four G's are big because our picture of God determines how we see and how we do life. Have you ever experienced two people experiencing the same event, but having very different interpretations? Yes? One comes away, that was awesome! The exact same thing. Somebody else comes away, is like, that was stupid. Like, what's with that? But our picture, the picture that we have of God, our internal God picture determines how we see and how we do life. Maybe you've heard that phrase, you do you. Well, how you do you comes from how you see him. How you do you comes from how you see him. I think you should try to say that to the person beside you. How you do you comes from how you see him. See if you can get it right. How you do you comes from how you see him. How you do you comes from how you see him. It's kind of hard to do that. See. This is our story. Maybe you're not familiar with the story of your life. Let me tell you your story. Every, all of us as human beings, God created us to be his image bearers. That word in the original is the word icon. I mean, we're to reflect God. We're to resemble God. We're to reflect who God is into creation. In other words, we're supposed to, we were created as human beings. Everything about us was to show creation how God is good, how God is glorious or awesome, how God is great, how God is gracious. So everything about us, we were supposed to take care of our world in a good way. We were supposed to walk in power and victory to show how great God is. And so that was our original assignment, except we kind of screwed that up. That's a different story. We're not going into that today. But if we don't know who God is, or we have a broken or kind of like warped picture of God, that means we're not going to be able to be who we were created to be. We're not going to be able to live out our purpose because actions flow from beliefs. You live according to what you believe. And so we want to make sure that we have the right God picture because if our 
God pictures broken, the rest of our life is going to be broken. That's why we can be striving and trying to work really hard and trying to do this and trying to make life better and trying to make our family better, our world better, but there's, we just can't quite get it. Well, why is that? It's because you're working from the wrong God picture. You're working from a broken picture. And today we're going to look at God is gracious. God is gracious. Now, when we start talking about that word grace, you might be familiar with it. Okay, it's time for grace. Hold hands. My brother, it's just so funny. I don't know if he's watching. This is how they do it over in Greece. They go, they hold hands and they go, bon appetit, because that's what they do in Greece. It's kind of funny. It's cute. But you maybe sat down at the table when you were, you know, a kid. It's like, say grace. God is great. God is good. Thank you, Jesus, for our food. Amen. You know, like, what is that grace that we were talking about? I was like, no. What does grace mean? Well, this is what grace, according to the Bible, means. Grace is God's undeserved unearned favor and kindness to us. It's unearned, it's undeserved, God's favor and kindness to us. The minute you think you deserve it, what you're wanting isn't God's grace. The minute you think you can earn it and you can work harder for it and you can become better so God will love you more or God will bless you more, you're not getting grace. You're getting a horrible cheap substitute that will leave you empty and probably mad at God. But God ain't the problem. It's because you were wanting something that was a wrong thing. But here's the thing, that technical definition of grace does nothing to really con convey what grace actually is. That's why we need stories. Stories are amazing. And this is what's so mind-blowing about God, that God's entire story, this whole book, the Bible, is literally screaming God's grace through every story. Now, you might not, that might not be your experience, but I want to submit, maybe you're reading the book wrong, because when you pick this up right from the beginning, right with the creation story, you see God making this beautiful world. You see God making all these planets, and he's making trees. Like, why do we need barbecue? Because it smells so good, and it tastes so good. Why do we need color? There's no purpose in color, but God gave us color. He made color. Everything in creation was God's grace. And then we move into the part where we messed it up, but God immediately steps in when his kids rebelled against him. You know what God did? God immediately steps in to cover his kids' embarrassment at their nakedness that their rebellion stripped from them, their innocence. And instead of pointing the finger and saying, bad children, God covers them. But it doesn't stop there. God keeps talking to his kids even though they destroyed his whole creation. And then do you know how God, how he interacted with the first murderer? Murderers in the Bible were just as bad as they are today. But do you know how God dealt with the first murderer? He didn't say, you evil man, I saw what you did. You're bad, you're evil, boom, you're done. God didn't do that. You know what God said, he's like, hey buddy, where's your brother? What's going on there? He killed his brother. God asked him a question to give him an opportunity to come clean. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on. Oh, it just keeps getting darker on our end. We just kept screwing it up. When things got so bad that this is what it said about every human being on the planet. When humanity imagined only evil. Everyone say only evil. Only evil. There was no good thought in their head. And all they thought about was doing evil all the time. That's pretty bad. All they thought about, they imagined only evil. 
and the only thing they wanted to do was evil all the time. That is pretty bad. God should have wiped them all out, but you know what he didn't? God chose one man, Noah, and his family to show grace to, to rescue in an ark while the rest of creation got a really long bath. But it doesn't stop there because after a while, humanity, they started going down that same road again. We know better than God. We'll do our own thing. We're going to build this huge, tall tower to the heavens, and we're going to be like, God, it's going to be awesome. God's like, oh, my gosh, here we go again. And so God, like a good parent, instead of wiping all them out, he's like scatters them. He sends all his kids to separate rooms. And he's like, you can't talk to each other ever again. Stay there before everything got worse. But it doesn't stop there. When humanity started spreading out over the planet and they weren't doing much better, God's like, okay, I'm gonna make sure that they remember I love them. And that as much as they're screwing stuff up, I have got a plan. And I'm working to bring healing to this world. And so God picked an old barren couple and said, you're gonna be father and mother of a nation of messengers and their whole role is to carry the message of my love to the rest of my kids, to remind my kids, I am good, I'm still for you. I love you, I am still with you, I am working my plan to heal this world. And you know what, guess what? That's only the first 12 chapters of the story. How crazy is that? God's grace is right through this book. And so today we're going to look at a particular story from Jesus' life. And it's an episode. It's just a short clip. It's a little bit longer clip, but it's a clip from the TV series called The Chosen. If you haven't seen it yet, you've got to watch the series. But go ahead, media. Let's run the clip. Give me a drink. Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come at noon in the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I'd, I'd still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would, except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Wrong story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know Jacob. 
and everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah. Exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank Him even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth, heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity was excited to be married, but he wasn't a good man. He hurt you, and it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with, but you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? 
I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon, just the heart. <laughs> you promised. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> Hey, wait! Your water! You forgot your um. Foxy, your man, you told me everything I ever did! How incredible is that? If you can watch the whole episode, if you go to the church website, not now, but later. Go to the Jesus section, and um, there's a link to download the app, and you can watch all out eight episodes. Man, I love this story. But let's apply this to us, because it's not just a cool story. It's not just this thing to give you the emotional feels for a morning or whatever. But here's the thing. We are all the Samaritan woman at the well. We're all that. Everyone say, I am the Samaritan woman. Guys, you just have to say it once, that's it. <laughs> but you know what? We're all that woman. We're all looking for something to quench that thirst in our soul, that thirst for belonging, that thirst for love, that thirst for acceptance, that thirst for significance, that thirst for peace. We are all that woman, but you know what else? We all have a woman at the well in our life because that's what... God's grace is actually about, see, grace that just comes to us but doesn't go through us is actually not grace. It's something else. It might start feeling good. It might start out making you feel good. But if it doesn't translate in it getting through you to others, just like that, because she's like, I'm going to tell everybody I know. Like if it's not this grace that flows through us, Something, we've received something else and not the thing that will actually transform our lives. And we all have this Samaritan woman or well. It might be, you know, it might be that boss that you think is your enemy or your coworker that you think is the enemy. It might be the ex that we avoid or the former friend who's wronged us or even the person you're sitting beside whose lifestyle or behavior you don't agree with. It might be our neighbor who we think we're better than them, maybe better than them socially or economically or both, maybe morally on the sin rating scale. We might think we're not quite as bad as them. I'm doing pretty good. I'm not as bad as, you know, those neighbors down the street. There's always stuff going on in that house. We all have a Samaritan woman. So here, I want to just give a few thoughts on how we can apply this to our lives. Because there is a power in the grace of God that is what transforms us. In the scripture where it said that we're saved by God's grace. It's not anything that we work to do, but it's only God's grace. It's his gift. 
So let's look at this. A few thoughts about this grace. Number one, grace moves towards when it has every reason to pull away. Grace moves towards when it has every reason to pull away. Jesus had every reason to not go to the well and not engage in the woman. Just socially, Samaritans and Jews, just it's not that they didn't talk. They just didn't even go near each other. In fact, you would go for days out of the way if you were on a journey, you would go days out of the way just so you wouldn't have to go close to or through the area called Samaria. Jews considered the Samaritans of the half-breeds. They were, you couldn't get any worse than a Samaritan. You just didn't talk to them. They had a lot of bad blood between them for centuries. So socially, Jesus shouldn't have been going even in that direction, let alone in this culture, men and women didn't talk to each other publicly, let alone a woman who was divorced and living with somebody who wasn't her husband. That was just unheard of. So socially, culturally, and morally, Jesus had every reason to avoid her. But if you read this story in the book of John, in John 4, 4, it says Jesus had to go. Samaria. He had to. There was this compulsion. That's why you want to watch the whole episode because you just, oh, there's so much. I wish you could have just shown the whole thing, but now you got to go and watch it. But this is, this is what's amazing because everything about us as broken, fallen, sinful, rebellious humans, and that's what we all are. Everything about us should make a holy and perfect God pull away from us, keep us at arm's distance, say, listen, you guys duke it out, figure it out on your own. When you got your crap cleaned back, then we can talk. Or when you got your crap cleaned up, then we can talk. But everything about God right from the moment where we rebelled, where we chose something other than him, God was moving towards humanity. God is always moving towards you. God is always moving towards the mess. Look at the person beside you say, God's moving towards your mess. God is moving towards your mess. And here is the sign that God's grace, that love of God is in us if we're moving towards and not away. Are you moving towards? Here's a second thought about grace. Grace isn't threatened by pain's voice. Whether that voice is angry words or hurtful words or gossip or betrayal. You know, in this scene, I love it because she starts throwing all sorts of accusations and trying to pull Jesus into this argument about spiritual things. And we're supposed to worship, you say we're supposed to worship the temple and we're supposed to worship, we worship here for centuries and you're saying this and you're saying this. And Jesus doesn't get pulled into her argument. He doesn't retaliate. He doesn't judge her. He doesn't condemn her. What does he do? He turns the whole conversation around to her real thirst to the real point of her pain, and it was the guilt and shame and condemnation of her life. And But what did he do? He didn't just leave her there. He offered a thirst, he offered a drink for her thirsty soul. It's like, I got the real stuff that you're looking for. And see, when, what does that mean for us? See, when we encounter people who accuse us, or people who mistreat us, people whose behavior offends us, Instead of becoming defensive or judging, we can offer them the drink that we have access to through Jesus Christ. We don't have to pull away because of their parent. Parents, you need this for your kids. Some of you, there's this rift right now between you and your kids, and you're just like, just let them do their thing. Grace moves towards 
Grace heals. Grace restores. Some young people, you need to work this out with some friends, with some of you with your parents. It's just like my dad, don't anything to do with him. My mom, don't anything to do. You know what? Grace moves towards. It's not by our own power, but God allows us. He recognizes that pain, that whatever was done to you, that was the pain of somebody else. It's a sign of a thirsty soul. Number three, Jesus offered grace and truth. Everyone say grace and truth and truth. He said, I'm not here to condemn you, but then he also spoke the truth that set her free. See, this is the difference, though, between tolerance and grace. Our world, especially our Western culture, especially our Western Canadian culture, is screaming tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. You don't get anybody more politically correct than us Canadians. Let's just own it. You know, there's nothing you can say now that is politically correct. It's all politically incorrect. So nobody talk to each other. Just zip it and just be silent for the rest of your life. But you know, the difference between tolerance and grace is this. Tolerance is accept me as I am and let me stay as I am. Let me be, let me stay conflicted. Let me stay in my confusion. Let me stay in my pain. Let me stay in my brokenness. Let me stay in my emptiness. Let me stay in my frustration. Let me stay in my unfulfilled state. Accept me as I am and don't tell me I need to change. But you know what the difference is? Grace is this. Grace says, I accept you as you are, but as you are, is not who you were meant to be. And I see who you were meant to be. I see how God created you. And I see the you that God created you to be. And I'm speaking to that sacred potential in you and I'm calling it out. Because see, that's what love does. That's what grace does. I'm calling this out of you. John 4, 17, when they're having this conversation and he's like, go get your husband. And she's like, I don't have a husband. And he's like, technically you're telling the truth. But you have had five husbands and are currently living with a man you're not married to. And I wonder how you interpret that verse. And I remember growing up in church and, you know, reading it was always that, here's the truth part. Jesus is pointing out her sin. You can't give the grace without the truth. And he's pointing out her sin. And you condemn sinner. And you're a you've been. And usually that tone was like, you have been married five times. And you're an adulterer right now. So you know that horrible term, but I wonder if that's actually what Jesus was doing. Because see, in a culture like this, the woman had no rights. Women were property. In fact, a man was the one who had to sign off on the divorce rights. And I wonder if the reason she had five husbands is because they had all divorced her. And if she was a woman living in that culture, they, they didn't have jobs, they couldn't support themselves. A woman's only hope of survival and protection was under the protection of another man, whether it's her father or a brother or her husband. And so here I wonder if maybe she was divorced five times is because the first one left her and she had to get remarried again for protection and security. It happened over and over and over again. And finally she's like, I don't care. I'm so desperate for protection. I'm so desperate for somebody to, to cover me and for some security. I'm willing to live with this guy. If it means I'll be ostracized for the rest of my life, at least I'm safe. 
But you know what Jesus was revealing when he revealed, I know what's going on in your life. When he revealed her past and her present, he was saying, listen, I know who you are. I know your situation. I know what you've been through. I know your condition. And I've got an answer. Guess what? I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who's going to be the one to cover you and protect you. I'm the one that you can count on. See, the truth he spoke wasn't just about her moral state. And some of us, man, we got to get this into our head because we're really good at pointing out what's wrong. But what the truth was that he was speaking out wasn't just about her moral state. It was the truth about who he was. I am the drink that you have been looking for. I am that living water that your soul has been looking for. You've been looking for this and you've been going here for this and you've been chasing that guy for this. I'm the one who's going to give your soul the drink that you will never be thirsty again. See, grace reaches us right where our at, right where we are at, but grace refuses to let us stay as we are. Because love always wants the best for the beloved. And you're saying, like, you mean I have to come in, I can, I can come into church as I am? Yes! And I can just stay that way? No! You come in those doors, you're coming in for people getting in your business in a good way. Not just people, but God getting in your business. And some of you in this room, you know what it's like. And you're like, thank God somebody got in my face. Thank God someone came around and loved me. Thank God somebody walked through this with me. Thank God somebody was there to call out to that sacred potential in me and not let me stay where I was at. Everybody coming through these doors, do you have to change? Absolutely. All of us, myself included. We all change. And if you're not out for change, you're going to be really uncomfortable here for a while. <laughs> Grace gives the courage. I love this. She went back to town, leaving her water pot behind. She stopped men and women on the streets and told them about what had happened. What are our water pots? Your water pot is whatever you have looked to to survive. Whatever you have relied on to quench your thirst. Your water pot might be a relationship or a string of relationships. Your water pot might be a certain socioeconomic standing. Your water pot might be a host of things, an identity. Jesus quenched her thirst. I want us to stand. And you know, the beauty of this is that God's grace that flowed to her, it flowed through her. I'm going to tell everybody, I know. And she's freaking out. You don't have to be a freak to do that. But you know what? God's grace that flowed to her, flowed through her. Jesus modeled God's grace, not just as God he modeled it as how a true human being is supposed to live. We were made to reflect the nature of God and his grace and to reflect it to our world. That's how our world is healed. Contrary to what many of you might have been taught, God is not waiting to just torch the world and destroy it. God is coming back to heal it. And he's already started that through the name and power and life of Jesus Christ. 
See, to truly be human is to be a grace extender. And I love this because Jesus asked her to give him the very thing that she had come to the well that she herself needed. He said, give me a drink. She had come to the well looking for a drink. And he said, will you give me that thing that you've been searching for? And will you trust me with it? Will you give me that and let me be the drink your soul has been looking for? I want you to close your eyes. And I want to pray because I know there's some here. Jesus, he's saying, will you give me your thirst? Will you let me fill your thirst? Will you give me that identity that you've been looking to to fill that thirst in you? Will you give me that relationship? Will you give me that substance and let me fill your thirst? Will you give me that thing that you're pursuing? Will you give me those activities you're filling your life with or filling your kids' life with? Will you give me those things and let me fill your thirst? Let me be the one that quenches that thirst. I want to give you living water. I want everybody with your eyes closed. I just want to invite you. If there's an area where you're just like, you know what? There's a water pot I need to leave behind. I want to pray for you. Nobody's going to call you out. I simply want to agree with you. And I really believe there's going to be a supernatural power. Some of you have tried leaving some things before and it's never worked. But I believe today God is going to do something so supernatural and so deep in your soul that it's going to be different. And if that's you, I want to just invite you. Everybody, just your eyes closed. And I just want you to reach out your hand. And your hand is it's just a significance of I am leaving this water pot behind. Jesus, every hand raised. Lord, you know what that water pot represents. God, you know how, how, how hard it is. You know how, how long we've been carrying those things. And how deeply ingrained those things are a part of us or part of our life. And God, today, I just declare that, Father, that there would be a taste of that living water. That your water of life would wash over every thirsty every hungry soul and that freedom would come God we just declare today a day of new beginnings father those things that they've tried to leave before today is the day where it's left and God a measure and a river of your grace flowing in to bring a relief where there has been dryness and we thank you for that in Jesus name in Jesus name God, thank you. And this one, everybody, you can put your hands down and we're going to pray one final prayer together. And if you're watching online, you can pray this with us. I know I'm going a little bit longer, but I really believe there's something God is going to solidify today. If you've never said yes to following Jesus and a brand new start, that can happen today. And we're all going to pray this prayer together. Can we just say, Jesus, thank you for the new start that you started through your life, through your death on the cross, and through your resurrection, there is a new creation, reality, here on earth. I say yes to that reality, defining my life. I thank you for a new start today. Amen. Come on, can we give God thanks today? All over this room, God, people are having a brand new start. It's exciting. Go ahead. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor as a church to play just a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to seeing you soon here at City Life.